0: Welcome, perfect stranger. My name is Valerie. I see myself as a nomad with deep roots. I'm fascinated by our cultural differences and at the same time by what we all have in common. The more I meet people from diverse backgrounds, the more I learn about myself and the world. In this podcast, I would like to give you the opportunity to experience it by stepping in somebody else's shoes for a moment. Today, I have the pleasure to interview Danny. Danny has had the wanderlust in him his whole life. He lived in Spain and in France, and now he's back in the US. You never know what life is going to throw at you, and he learned to be flexible and to adapt, even if it's hard because now he's working four jobs and living far away from his children.
1: And I never thought that at sixty-two I would be working 65 hours a week and living with a rabbit. I'm learning, you know, you get older and you learn humility and gratitude and and to really appreciate the very very important things. Are
0: you ready to listen to his story? Hello Danny. So welcome to Perfect Strangers. Thank you very much. You know You have something in common with three American guests that I interviewed on this podcast. You had an experience abroad as a student that changed your life. My first question is: How did a semester in Madrid, Spain, while you were in junior year, had an influence on your life till today?
1: Well, it it was an entire year; it wasn't just a semester. And I think, wonder less than the love for other countries and and that sort of adventure. Maybe it was already in me and it just took living in another country for a year to sort of activate it. It was one year. It was fantastic. I went back to the States afterwards and finished college and almost immediately knew that I wanted to go back to Europe and live in Spain again. So I I think it was in me, you know, and I still have it, right. The the love for just other countries and, and other, and other cultures and languages.
0: So then finished your studies and right away after you finished, you decided to go to live in Spain.
1: Mm-hmm. I did. I, I decided to go back. This would be, I'm old, uh, 1982. And I got there at a very, very exciting time for Spain because Fr- General Franco died in 1975. And it took Spain a couple of years to hold its first democratic election and really start to change things. And I got there. In October of 1982, right after the first real, real democratic election, a socialist government took over, and it was a period of very, very exciting change. It was called, they even made up a word for it in Spanish, just sort of... Uh, la movida. It was la movida, exactly. exactly. It was a movement of theater and film and, and writing, literature, and it was a really, really exciting time to be there. Felipe González was uh, this young socialist prime minister was in charge so that's right I got there a, a week after the election I think so it was a very very exciting time to be there a lot of fun I taught English in a language school and the, and I went over with the idea of spending another year and I just kept rolling it over and I ended up staying for four years I'm just so, so happy 1982 to 86 that's the second time I went there
0: after these four years in Spain you decided it was time to go home I spent a couple months in France
1: I did I thought I was going to maybe try again to do in France what I had done in Spain. It didn't really work out. So I went home in late 1986 and I figured okay, I better grow up and get a job. I had studied science in college, chemistry, biology, and physics. But when I came home from Spain, my language skills were very strong. And I ended up getting a job for a news organization called United Press International. And I got a job basically translating from English into Spanish. And that got me into the news business.
0: Yeah, that's, Then it's another coincidence. It's the fact that your Spanish was so good that you got this job.
1: Yeah, and that sort of that job also led me back to Europe. I was with UPI for a year, and then I transferred to a French news agency, the French national news agency, excuse me, which is like AP or Reuters, but for France or based in France, and they generate news in five languages, I think, and I was on English specialist. So I was on on K Street uh, working for AFP. And eventually, I transferred from AFP Washington to AFP in Paris.
0: It's also funny in life that you tried to live in Paris after Spain, and you didn't manage at that time. And then by coincidence, you were offered a job in Paris.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And that first time when I I moved there and said, OK, I'm going to do it all over again. I'm going to live in Paris. Maybe my heart wasn't in it. Uh, And maybe I I was just sort of what I wanted to do was just not go home rather than really, really want to live in Paris. But it it just didn't work out. My French wasn't very good. And I didn't really know how about how to go about uh, finding a job. But Paris came up again later in my life. And I met the woman who is now the the mother of my my two sons. She's a journalist also. We met in the middle of a newsroom. We worked at opposite ends of it. and Somewhere in the middle, we, we connected and we met. And she's she's a Spanish woman. So that's why we decided, well, Spain is probably going to be a friendlier place or a cheaper place also to to have and raise a family.
0: So then you moved to Spain. And after a few years, then the economic crisis was coming there, too.
1: Yeah, well, it was more than a couple of years. We moved there in 1998. And I took a job with uh, the Associated Press, the big American news agency. It was the perfect job. I loved my job. I mean, I was a correspondent and covering day-to-day news and then going out on assignment every now and then, usually with, within Spain. And again, a very, very happy time of my life I had two beautiful little boys to go home to every night. And the, the financial crisis that began here took a little bit longer to get over to Spain. But when it got there, it was it hit very, very hard. The unemployment rate went up to something like 22 percent i think the housing market collapsed and the unemployment rate and this is what the significant thing the unemployment rate for young people for people under 30 once something astronomical i think it was 30 percent so my boys were still young but i was thinking i had my kids later in life so i was sort of thinking well if if i want to get out of here if, you know, things are i don't want i didn't want my kids to be trapped by spanish economic problems which is sort of very high structural unemployment and now even more so because of the crisis So I decided. Well, we decided, my wife, my now ex-wife, and I that we, if we're going to get out of Spain and get back to the United States, now is the time to do it while I'm still young enough to be employable in the United States. Now they were little; they weren't threatened by the economic crisis or anything. But I didn't want them to go through what a lot of Spanish young people were going through, which is finish college and then not find any work, or if they're lucky, find a job working at Starbucks for, for for peanuts. At the time. There were lines outside on the sidewalk, outside the Australian embassy or the Goethe Institute for Germany. People were trying to go anywhere they could, where they thought there would be a better future. And when we talked to friends about whether or not we should make this big move, they said, you are stupid if you do not go, go. I would not think twice. 2012, we, we moved from Madrid to to Washington.
0: And so how was it for your children to move to Washington, and your wife also, because it was her first time in United States.
1: No, she had done a year of high school in New Jersey, up in the New York, near New York City, and she she loved the United States and she loved New York. It was hard for the boys. We made a couple of mistakes. One of them was in 2012. I moved here in the summer before the school year started to find schools and get a house and get everything set up. And the mistake we made was not have the boys come right at the beginning of the school year. They sort of came in October and was sort of parachuted in when the school year had already begun. So I think that made the transition, the adjustment for them harder. Each in their own way, they, they had problems. It did not go terribly well. The older one, for instance, you know, Spanish kids are, well, he in his case, sort of an average size, you know, not particularly big. And kids here are bigger, just big boys, right? big, tall kids. And I think he started middle school and he looked around and he sees it great big boys. I think he felt a little bit intimidated by it, and he struggled to make friends. Um, so he had a hard time at first, but he came through it, and now he's, he's doing very, very well. My my younger boy also struggled a little bit. It, it wasn't easy. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was not easy. They struggled to adjust. They were both bilingual. Language was not a problem at all, because we had spoken, I spoke English, to, only English to them while they were growing up in Spain. And it was beautiful to watch, even before we left Spain like a lot of international families, I would speak English to them and they would answer me in Spanish. And then at some point, they opened up like oysters, right? Just like with a pearl inside. All of a sudden, they started speaking English to me, but they're perfectly bilingual, which is a fascinating thing when you think about it. Somebody who's absolutely 100% proficient in two languages. But. So anyway, it was the transition was hard. And I think it was also a little bit hard for my wife and the whole family was under some strain, yeah.
0: So then... After a while, your wife decided to go back to Spain. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, my younger son had, had some problems here. I um, mean, he, you know, he had some, some behavior problems and he sort of fell in with our own kids. And we decided that he needed some treatment that he, we couldn't readily access here. My wife and I, or now I we had already separated. So in 2018, he and his mother moved back to Spain. And he's still there.
0: So now you find yourself here in Washington, D.C. and you have one of your sons studying in California and the other is in Spain with his mother. So how can you handle that?
1: It's lonely. You know, I mean... It's lonely. You know, I'm now living back in the house where it all started, where that I picked out for when the boys were coming and they were little and it was the start of our, our new, our big adventure, right? we Moving to the United States. And now I'm here living alone with a rabbit and a cockatiel that I inherited from the boys. That's sort of the legacy of, it's hard. It's hard. But um, my older boy doing, is flourishing. He's doing very, very well. He's studying physics in California. At a very good school, he's a hard worker and, and he's doing very well. He's happy. And my younger boy, is he's doing better now. He's a musician. He's played the clarinet since he was six. And the piano also pretty much since that age. And he's probably going to make music his life, his career. And he's doing much better. So I miss them. I miss them achingly.
0: But also you have the, the issue because this year with COVID, you were not able to go to Spain as it was close to American uh, citizens. So
1: Sure. After Nico and his mother moved back, I tried to go and see him every three or four months. And I got a second job to be able to pay for all the plane tickets. And the last time I went was right when the pandemic was sort of taking off everywhere. March of last year, and I flew over there to see him. It hadn't exploded yet in Spain, as it would pretty quickly. Like, I remember sitting in a restaurant one day, and the TV was on, and they said that Spain now has 100 cases of COVID, right? Which is nothing. But anyway, I was there for 10 days with him. So now I haven't seen Nico since March, as you said. So when the plague, what I call the pandemic, the plague is over, the first thing I want to do is see my boys.
0: I completely understand. As you said, the fact that you are divorced, your son lives in another country, which happens often with couples who are from a different country. It's the strain, the economic strain on you. You have two jobs now to pay for all the expenses because you have to take the plane and then be in an hotel. Actually,
1: I have four jobs if you count them all: two big ones and two little ones.
0: Oh I have wow! a
1: journalism job, and then I work at this, the other the other job I work at a Trader Joe's, which I love. And then I have two little jobs: I do translation work for uh, a bank that's like the IMF, just translating news releases and things. And then I tutor a kid in Spanish. So I didn't think <laughs> I turned sixty-two yesterday. And I never thought that at age 62, I would be working 65 hours a week and living with a rabbit. I'm learning, you know, you get older and you learn humility and gratitude and and to really appreciate the very, very important things, which are both of my boys are healthy, they're safe and they're healthy. They're probably going to be okay. And I'm grateful for that, right? I mean, okay, things didn't turn out the way that I had hoped, but, you know, I have to be grateful for the things that did turn out well, right? And I have two beautiful wonderful sons and they're both where they are they're far away but in opposite directions but they're healthy and so i'm grateful for that
0: the fact that you are working four jobs and you don't care what people think i mean you do what you have to do for your sons and I see that a lot in the United States. You know, you see people who are 80 years old who are still, you know, they go on whatever jobs they, they find. And that's not seen as something negative here.
1: It's a very good point. One big difference that I've noticed between Americans and, say, Spaniards, that's the culture I know best, is we Americans have a much less sense of sort of personal shame or embarrassment, right? Americans are, will clown around more, right? They really don't have a sense of, Shame, but I mean that in a positive sense, right? Like, for example, what you're saying, I mean, I'm 62 years old and I work in a grocery store. And yes, at first it was very hard. It was, you know, people look at me, you know, I I, I joke about it. I do stand-up comedy for a a hobby. And one of the jokes I say is people look at me like I just got out of prison or rehab, right? Oh, this (laughs) right? But yeah, people here are much more, I'm not saying they're more pragmatic. But when I tell people in Spain, for example, that I have a second job at a grocery store, they are horrified. They're mortified. And right? I'm not saying they wouldn't do it. I'm not saying there are fathers over there that wouldn't cut out a kidney for their children. I'm sure there are. But I just think in general, people here have less of a sense of, of sort of embarrassment or, oh, what will people think? So yeah, I've got two jobs. And, and there too, I'm grateful to, to to have it, right? I mean, this allows me to help my son and his mother. And once the pandemic's over, just to resume going over there to see him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I guess for you also, you can show that where you... You boys that in life, you know, things happen to you and you do whatever you have to do to go forward.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. My older boy, he's 21. And I don't know, about a year or so after I started working at Trader Joe's, I said to him, honey, I hope you're not embarrassed that your father works at a grocery store part time. And he said, no, no, was very sweet. He's a great kid. they both are. And he said, no, no, Dan, I'm proud of you. He just made me melt. I was so, I was so touched and grateful. A couple of people have said that to me. Wow, you've got a real work ethic, and you're doing this for your kids. And yeah, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to be able to. All right, yeah, I work a lot, but you know, I'm alone now. So what else would I do, right? So (laughs) I might as well, I might as well make money, you know.
0: And I guess the rabbit doesn't speak a lot, huh?
1: (laughs) The rabbit is a little bunny named Jerry. Later, one of the boys wanted a cockatiel, which is like a little parrot. Three, it's the three of us. It's the, the dude ranch, right? Me and Robert and <laughs> the cockatiel. And they're good, actually, they're, good, they're good company. They're actually good, good company. It's a funny story. I mean, we thought always thought it was a boy. And then a month into the pandemic, I wake up one day and I had covered her cage because she was being noisy and that always puts her to sleep. I take the towel off the cage and there's an egg in the bottom of it. I mean, I was shocked. And I think the bird also was shocked. It's like a fantastic picture of Coco, the bird's name, looking down into the cage in awe of what she had done. Now, an <laughs> Coco's a girl, and she went on to lay six eggs in the first couple of days of the pandemic. And now, every other month, she's laying eggs. It's,
0: so, you, it still is company. This. <laughs> you get surprised yeah. even. Yeah, I, I feel like with the first load of five
1: eggs, and I felt like a farmer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I never expected to do animal husbandry in my house, but yeah, so.
0: For the future, you you hoping that your son, that is in Spain, will at certain point come to United States to study or be with you? Yeah,
1: very good question. We're trying to. He's trying to figure that out right now. He's applied to colleges here. But he's also considering, strongly considering trying to get into, there's a very good music conservatory in Madrid. So he may go there. He's also thinking about studying in Italy because he was there over the summer and fell in love with it. So he's trying to decide. I selfishly would love to have him back here because I miss him so much. And ever since, really, ever since my ex-wife and I separated, I feel like I haven't seen him enough. Been five years now, and I think often about all the time that I'm missing with him. So, selfishly, yes, I would like him to come back here, but I fight that. And what I really want, I want him to be healthy and, and happy. And if it means him staying in, in Europe, well, so be it, right? I mean, we only get our kids for 18, 20 years anyway, right? And then they leave. And what my future, what do I plan when I retire, if I ever can? Depending on where the boys are, I could see myself retiring in Spain. I love it so much. And I've always wanted to live next to the water. So I think I would, if I do it, I'll try to find near one of the coasts. And especially if Nico stays in Spain, I probably will retire there. And it's, it's also very cheap. It's much cheaper. I don't know. I could never afford to retire in Bethesda. But in Spain, I probably could. And I love Europe. Europe is, you know, I think when we left in 2012, you know, it was our decision. And we were happy with it. But To this day, I think Europe's, think it's the best place on earth. I mean, I just love the values and just how there's so much culture.
0: And so I don't know if you can answer this question because I was thinking, you know, what happened to you, the fact that you separate and then your kids end up in another country and it's difficult, you know, emotionally and economically. And I wondered if you have a piece of advice, something that you would like to say to other parents who are in this same situation?
1: Good question. I guess I would say to families that are sort of planning a move like this, maybe we didn't plan it enough. I still think we did the right decision. Despite everything that happened, I stand, I think we did, we acted in good faith. I stand by the decision we made. I don't have any regrets. But maybe prepare it painstakingly. Like, for example, the mistake we made about moving here and sort of parachuting the boys into school after it was already underway, big mistake, try to prepare everything as much as you can. And then once after we got here, I guess I would say, I mean, not that we didn't pay attention to the boys, but maybe we should have kept an eye on them a little bit closer about to ask how they were adjusting. My older boys first started having showing some problems, and then Nico later, but Maybe we sh- I should have been more proactive as I monitored them, you know, in their adjustment. Maybe I just sort of thought, oh, we're here. It's America. It's my hometown. So I'm real comfortable here. And, you know, all my friends are here and, and my family and everything. So maybe I let my guard down. Maybe I didn't pay enough attention to how the boys were adjusting. So that's what, I guess that's what I would say. Do your homework before you leave. And while you're here, keep your eyes wide open to your people.
0: That's a very wise advice. You know, I'm glad that through all this experience, you boys are fine and everything is going well. well uh, thank you. It's good to hear. Hoping someday you're going to retire in Spain or somewhere nice. And, uh, I hope really that you can do that.
1: You know, I have a dream involving my younger son, musicians. musician. Uh, have you seen a movie called Billy Elliot?
0: Yes, The the Dancer. Exactly. Then one of the final
1: scenes, and I could barely describe this scene without sort of breaking up, and I don't know why it touches me so much. The story about a boy in a working-class town in, in northern England, rough kind of place, and he wanted to be a ballet dancer. And he faced a lot of opposition and resistance and criticism. Anyway, one of the final scenes, he is now the prima ballerina for a company, and the father and the brother go and see him perform. Billy at one point does this jump jumps like three or four feet into the air the father is so overcome with pride and, and emotion he gasps goes, ah! i dream of doing that with my boy him performing and for some reason i have this dream that's going to be in the netherlands i don't know why but i just pictured nico performing with some symphony or orchestra in the netherlands and me sitting in the audience and living that same kind of thing just being overwhelmed with pride and emotion over seeing my seeing my boyfriend.
0: Wow. That's a beautiful dream. That's a beautiful image. Remember the scene? Do you remember
1: that scene in the movie?
0: Yes, at the end, yes.
1: Powerful, powerful. Father's overcome with emotion and pride. He gasped. So anyway, I want to live that. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a beautiful image to finish this interview, Danny. Uh, I wish you all the best.
1: It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye-bye. Oh. <laughs>